today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Mexico is saying that it is not going to ratify the new NAFTA deal uh, if the United States does not remove tariffs on steel and aluminum. Now, stop me if you've heard this before. Oh, that's right. It was a week ago when uh, Mark Garneau, of course, the Canadian minister, uh, said the exact same thing. Marvin Ryder joins us to talk about this business professor at the uh, DeGroote School of Business, of course, at McMaster University. Hey, Marvin, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine, thank you, Bill. This is uh, the trade deal, the Rodney Dangerfield, I guess, of trade deals. Nobody <laughs> seems to have any respect for it. Yes, in a way. So I don't mean to sound like I'm going to correct you, but I am just going to change one thing. Mark Garneau said not that it would be impossible to pass, but that it would just be difficult to pass. Mexico's actually up the ante in saying if you don't remove the tariffs, we're not going to pass it, full stop. I think the liberals feel... A, they worked too hard to put it that way, and B, um, they're going to be facing an election in the fall. I think they want to ratify it beforehand, so they're trying to slow the process, but I don't think they want to get rid of it altogether. All right, but with that in mind, let's assume that they do that. Uh, But if the U.S. hasn't signed on and Mexico hasn't signed in, what good is it? Yes. Well, you raise a good question. I suppose it's the old story that somebody has to go first. Someone has to say, it's not a perfect deal, but we, we think it's good enough for the time being. And I think both countries, Canada and Mexico, are trying to put pressure on Mr. Trump and all of his associated uh, uh, cabinet ministers to get those tariffs off. Uh, and certainly, by the way, as we talked about last week, Bill, and make sure there are no new tariffs going on, in particular around the automobile sector, which is another little card that Mr. Trump has up his sleeve. Uh, and so I think if they can get that pressure, I, I don't think there's a big danger to us approving it, but I would really love to see those tariffs go away. Well, uh, well, let's talk about the Mexican situation, then we can get uh, to this side of the border and find right. out what's going on. One of the things that I think surprised a lot of us as we had these discussions about the negotiations uh, was this labor reform that Mexico uh, is, is about to introduce, uh, pending, I guess, what happens with the states. Uh, but the, the newly signed on president there says, this is really no big deal. We were going to do this anyway. So I guess I guess we both got caught a little bit off guard by that. Well, right, Bill. So let me just take you back to last year's negotiating. Uh, Canada and Mexico seem to be quite unified in their concerns about uh, NAFTA, NAFTA 2.0, and one seemed to be supporting the other. And then all of a sudden, in August of last year, after the Mexican presidential elections, before Mr. Obrador comes in, but after he's elected, so his team starts to uh, show up on the negotiating team, you might remember that the U.S. and Mexico went off on their own and they left Canada on the sidelines. And we weren't worried about that because, look, Mexico and Canada, we're good allies. One's not going to undermine the other. And lo and behold, Labor Day of 2018, uh, Mexico and the U.S. said, we've, we've signed off on a deal. And we went, oh, my gosh, that seems so surprising because, Mexico, you were the ones more than anybody else complaining about some of these labor provisions, uh, making sure that workers get paid decent wages and so on and so forth. What, what's happened and what we've discovered is that there was a change in the negotiation team that uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Obrador, Lopez Obrador, got his people involved, and he has said that he uh, wants to use this USMCA, or whatever words you want to use it, the new NAFTA 2.0, as a way to improve the working 
growing lot of Mexican citizens. Now, it's worth remembering that uh, Mr. Lopez Obrador was elected from a left-leaning party, I mean, a socialist kind of party. That's the kind of rhetoric that many people in Mexico wanted to hear, that those big companies, they're not just going to run roughshod and pay you uh, skin, skinny wages. They're Instead, they're going to give you decent wages for the work you did. So I, I, I can't say I dislike any of that. I think, in fact, many people in the United States are going to be thrilled hearing that because that's always been the concern, cheap Mexican labor taking jobs away from Canada and the United States. The fact that they want to improve it is better. But as always, Bill, you know, talk is cheap. I love to see the details in those bills, um, and I'd like to see them actually get those things passed. But if they're all true, and I have no reason to doubt Mr. Lopez Obrador, then bravo, bravo to him. All right, and, and where does that leave the rest of the, the this deal then? Because, I mean, obviously the concern here, as you say, with an election pending, and, and a U.S. election not too far away either, uh, you'd like to get th- th- this thing settled. Uh, I mean, there was a, such a big to-do about this when all three of them signed on to this thing uh, back in the summertime. Uh, I, I kind of get the sense that Donald Trump's moved on from this right now. That was his little project at one point, and he doesn't seem to pay much attention to it anymore. Well, in a way, so uh, they had that little meeting of the three amigos. I think it was actually in Rio or someplace down in South America. So they had a big signing ceremony, and you get Trump's signature on a document. But, of course, the signing ceremony only meant that the three parties had agreed that this was the text. The next step was to get the governments to approve it. Uh, different processes in each of the three countries. So Mexico uh, is going to do this through their own Senate. Uh, as I say, they, they seem to be liking it, with the exception of the steel provisions, which are, of course, outside of USMCA. The liberals could also do it here. They have a majority. They could easily get it through the House of Commons if they wish. In the United States, the first step is to be hearings in the House. And you might know that the House is now controlled by the Democrats. And at the moment, the Democrats seem to be a little more interested in talking to Mr. Cohen and and the Mueller investigation and chasing down Russian collusion. And I'm not saying that's not important, but at this moment, no hearings on this new USMCA have been scheduled. That means likely we won't see hearings on this free trade deal in the House maybe until the early summer, maybe even into the late summer. So this could well be an agreement that Canada and Mexico approve by Labor Day with the United States waiting until the fall. Now, what's Mr. Trump have to say? Well, he's fighting the Democrats on so many fronts. You're right. He hasn't talked about this one specifically, but he just he's battling them every way, uh, tooth and nail. Um, and I think they're going to get around to it. They remember, again, that there is a, pre- pre- a presidential election coming up in uh, 2020, and uh, this kind of stuff, free trade, does play to those um, base states, the Rust Belt states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, what have you. So they've got to find the right way. I'm guessing, to be candid, the Democrats don't quite know which way to go on this. The Democrats have said that they don't like USMCA, but because it didn't go far enough, meaning they didn't think there were enough protections for workers, that there were enough protections for the environment, now that Mexico seems to be embracing it, they may have to change their tune. All right, but with that in mind, uh, I'm getting the sense from some of the folks I've heard down in the States, too, and you're right, most of them that I've heard anywhere are Democrats now since they control the, the House of Representatives down there. Uh, and similar to what you've just said, they don't think it's gone far enough. Is is there a mood starting to develop down there to actually renegotiate parts of this deal? 
Well, yeah, that's again, is that's the $64,000 question. I, I think the Democrats understand that if you, if you say, well, let's, let's reopen talks, there are things that Canada doesn't completely love in the deal. There are things that Mexico doesn't completely love in the deal. So if you to, were to reopen it, in other words, rescind that three-party signature and say, that isn't the final text, that was just one more version, let's go back one more time, we're going to do it with great reluctance. And also let's remember that Mr. Lighthizer, who negotiated on behalf of the United States, um, he doesn't necessarily embrace what the Democrats want to add. So who would actually lead the negotiation? If it's someone who doesn't believe in what the Democrats want to add, then how is he going to get something meaningful? So I, I think instead what we may see is a head of steam developing around, let's sign this as the basic deal, but let's negotiate some kind of a side deal, or you might say if this was a will, a codicil, an add-on agreement, yes, we'll approve plan A, but there's got to be a B part to insert in here. That might be the better way to go. But the Democrats haven't actually thought through their strategy on this, other than, generally speaking, to oppose everything that Donald Trump believes in. Is I, I guess what we have to ask ourselves here, is there a sense of urgency to get this thing done? I mean, I, I know that if, if you want to go back here to a couple of years ago, I mean, this was really uh, done because Donald Trump said he wanted to, well, I think the word he used was tweak the deal. He's done a little more than tweak it, I guess, if he gets uh, some of the nuts and bolts into this thing right now. But uh, but it, is, are, is the sand running out of the hourglass here? Are we having to get this thing done by a certain date? Because I'm kind of getting the sense that even Mexico, with some of the comments they've made over the past weekend or so, are saying, look, at, you know, no big deal. We'll just keep the, uh, the existing deal. We're, we're fine with that, too, which I don't think the United States would be. No. So uh, let's, let's just go back through this for half a second. So the, the first concern was the Mexican presidential election last year. Peña Nieto, who was the president, a bit more right-leaning, a bit more pro-business, uh, lost or his party lost to this left-leaning party. So there was a great concern. Look, we got to get this negotiated before that guy gets in because he's going to want to rip it all up. And to our amazement, the handoff between the one Mexican president and the other has been actually very smooth with the new president, the socialist president, saying, no, I, I don't have any problems with NAFTA at all. Even those provisions around workers, that I, I embrace those. So we've done now, in Canada, I, I think, uh, I, I'd hate to quote Mr. Scheer because he, he isn't always that clear where he stands, but I think he's also in favor of this. So whether Justin gets reelected in the fall or Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives take over, uh, I don't think there'd be any question that the USMCA could still get approval in Canada. Jagmeet Singh, he has been a little more... Um, uh, uncomplimentary about the deal, in particular, again, around labor clauses and environmental protections. I think he'd like those beefed up. Uh, and I hate to say this out loud, I'm going to make people mad, but I, I, just, I just don't see it in the cards for him to form even a minority government that I think the best he could hope for would be to be the linchpin in either a liberal or a conservative minority. Whether he'd be able to use that to reopen USMCA, I don't know. So the real question mark in all this is the United States. We have a deal that Trump likes. If Trump likes it, that means the Senate likes it. It's the House that doesn't seem to necessarily like it. But look, if they can make... Um, headway on some of these other aspects and if Canada and Mexico were to go to them directly and say look we really need you to back off on this and approve this and this is kind of what Mark Garno was doing uh, last weekend not the past weekend but the weekend before when he was visiting the the American Governors Convention to say please lobby the senators please lobby your representative saying this we think this is the best deal we can get at the time being let's get behind this we can always amend it down the road so I just it, it's really the House and the Democrats they've not come out with 
overly strong statements. I just don't know where they're going. Is time running out? No. Uh, in fact, it, I think the way this thing was signed, you have until 2020 to ratify it. So we've got lots of time. But I think there is a bit of question around the American forces. Can we get them lined up in some way? I would really hate to go back to the bargaining table after that intensive 18 months that we had. But if we work on the premise, as we've, I think, learned from a number of people that worked inside the White House and are no longer there, uh, Trump oftentimes decides on policy based on the last person he talked to. Uh, and he he has surrounded himself with people that like tariffs, Lighthizer being one of them, Wilbur Ross, the, the Commerce Secretary, being another. Uh, is there much of a chance of this even happening, of saying, okay, fine, we'll just, we'll, I know Larry Kudlow was in, uh, on uh, going public statements about this just the other day and said, oh, yeah, maybe we can do this. But he's not ultimately going to make the decision. It's going to be Donald Trump. And Donald Trump seems to like the idea of tariffs because that, that's power to him. Right. Uh, so, but let's remember how Donald Trump is applying these tariffs. He's using something called Provision 232, which allows the President of the United States, not just Donald Trump, any President of the United States, to apply tariffs in the case of a national emergency. Canada's argument, Mexico's argument, many other people in the United States is there is no national emergency. The whole provision was there basically for a time of war or potential war, where the last thing you want is your allies benefiting from their products entering your com- country. You'd want to put tariffs on. He has claimed, and, he, and of course the Department of Commerce has given him documents to suggest that, oh yes, yes, the, the steel industry is under attack. The aluminum industry is under attack. The auto industry is under attack. The dairy industry is under attack. And therefore, Mr. Trump, you are fully justified. The Republicans who had controlled the House and the Republicans who controlled the Senate had never wanted to challenge him. And I I just think this is amazing, because if uh, Barack Obama had tried using this clause, they would have said, where's your proof there's a national emergency? There's no national emergency, and they would have voted to overturn the tariffs. This is really the key question, I think, with the, with the uh, Democrats now in the House, uh, although they are busy again with the Russian investigation and collusion and Cohen and all those sorts of things. I have actually been expecting them as part of their hearings to say to the president, what's your proof that there's a national emergency? What's your proof that these tariffs are justified? And the reason is simple. It's actually the House and the Senate who have the ability to apply tariffs. The president, under all normal circumstances, do not. Trump has found this little loophole, whether he's going to get away with this loophole for much longer. So again, if I was Trump, and it looked like the forces were circling to close that loophole, then I've got nothing to lose by doing it on my own, getting ahead of the story. For the moment, as they let him keep doing this, I wouldn't be surprised if he put some tariffs, say, on European cars or Korean cars, just again to thumb his nose at them. Whether he could keep getting away with that, I don't know. Is he more preoccupied with China now than he is with this North American deal? Well, he's preoccupied on a couple of fronts. First, last week, of course, he was preoccupied with North Korea. I think uh, he really, really, really wants a Nobel Prize. Why? Because Barack Obama had a Nobel Peace Prize, so Trump feels he should have one, too. He sees North Korea as his ticket to that, and I think he's quite disappointed in the way those go, uh, the way those negotiations went last week. In fact, he he claimed in Vietnam that they actually had an agreement all worked out, and then at the last minute, uh, Kim Jong-un withdrew and wouldn't sign it, and I think that disappointed him a lot. With China, we are facing a deadline. It's this Friday. 
there was a ceasefire, if you will, in the tariff battle between those nations. No new tariffs, existing tariffs, but no new tariffs. But if there wasn't something by this Friday, there would be new fire, uh, new arms being fired, new tariffs being put on things. Um, and, and I think he would like to avoid that. I think he is now of the opinion that maybe he can get a better negotiated deal. Just what that's going to be, though, we've got basically 96 hours for that to debut. That could be the big business story of the week. But I just, again, haven't seen enough smoke to think that there's a fire behind that. But, yeah, I would say at this moment, this week, he's much more focused on China. But he'll get back to this because, remember, there is a presidential election. This man wants to be reelected. The Democratic uh, challenge are starting to marshal, and he needs to get his uh, story straight and take it out to the people. So I, I suspect we're not done with this by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it looks as uh, from what we've heard over the weekend here that he's going to lose his uh, national emergency designation on the border wall situation. Apparently it's going to get defeated in the Senate from what we're hearing now. Does he pull this one out of the bottom drawer then, this this, this naptitude, and say, okay, at least I got this, Let's get, let me get something? He needs a win. He needs a win. Well, he's had a couple of wins. Remember, he's put two people on the Supreme Court, and he has passed tax reform, even though it's cost the American public a trillion dollars in debt in its first year of implementation. Uh, wealthy people say, thank you very much, Mr. Trump. We really appreciate that. Companies say, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. So he's got a couple of victories. I, I, you know, he's, he's keen on calling it USMCA because he doesn't like NAFTA. Any victory of an approval that got rid of NAFTA would be good for him. I think he will default back to this if he can't get a victory anywhere else. But again, keep in mind, the Democrats, what is their strategy on here? They're going to want to seem to have a victory. So it may be NAFTA 2.0, but with a couple of little amendments. You know, we'll see what kind of a dealmaker Trump really is. Well, one of the sub-stories here is the effect and the impact these tariffs themselves are having. And I know it was a wonderful story last week when we see that the new Stelco actually had a great quarter and they're making money. But that's not going to last long if these tariffs stay in place. Well, for a couple of reasons. So, uh, yes, over the last year, the tariffs actually helped drive the price of steel up to almost record levels. Uh, Selco bouncing back after bankruptcy protection was able to cash in and have some wonderful quarters. The problem is that they had signed long-term supply contracts, and really those people who were buying Stelco steel didn't have any choice but to pay the tariffs. The question is, are they going to renew those tariffs? And the longer those tariffs exist, the more likely someone is to say, you know, until they're gone, I'm going to find a source of supply from someplace else. That didn't happen in 2018, and it hasn't happened so far early in 2019, but it has the potential to affect later 2019 and 2020. So those tariffs can be damaging in the longer term. That's why we'd like to get them removed sooner rather than later. Uh, but also in the United States, it's causing problems. I think it's the Ford Motor Company, if I'm wrong, it's General Motors, who said so far these tariffs have cost them billions of dollars uh, in, in extra costs and therefore it'll reduce profits because of it. And they want them gone as well. So how long will Trump keep imposing this that is hurting American business as much as it's challenging Canadian and Mexican business? I don't know. And he claims to listen. He claims to be a business person. You just can't think he could keep this going for very much longer. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. As always, Marvin, thanks so much for this. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.